following message is recorded at City Light Church in Vicksburg, Mississippi. City Light Church exists to shine the light of Christ in our city and world through the transformed lives of His people. For more information on the church and its ministries, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org. delve into a very important topic for fathers. And the, reason, and, and the reason that it's an important topic for fathers is because we basically, um, we get our instruction and we get our model of fathering from our Heavenly Father. We get our blueprint. What, what does it mean to be a father? And, and, and in order to understand what it means to be a father, you have to just continue to just dwell on and, 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 and marinate on the father's love for his children. And as you dwell on that and marinate on that, it actually strengthens your, your fathering. In my years as a father, which has not been that many, I've been, I've been a father for 12 years now, um, a great deal of my time and my education and my instruction in fathering has come from just gazing at the father in heaven and looking at the scriptures and seeing how he loves me. And as I see how he loves me, it informs and shapes how I love BJ, and it informs and shapes how I love Elijah. I believe it informed and it shaped how my dad loved me. My dad, when I see this father in this text, this father that's pointing to the great father in heaven, I see a lot of, I see a lot of, sim, uh, I see a lot of similarities to my own father. My own father loved me uh, from, from the moment I was born, and his love just continued to increase for me and my sister Kim. His, he... I remember when I was uh, going into, entering into mature uh, puberty, so to speak, or entering into those teenage years when I hit the age of 12, my father, on my birthday, took me, to the, took me aside and he, and he laid hands on me and he prayed for me that God would keep me and, and that God would, would cover me and guard me and, and protect me from the evil one. And, and he did the same thing when I turned 18. I turned 18, and, and I think I was hanging out with some of my buddies that day. And my dad came, uh, came home, and I was hanging out with my buddies. And literally, while I was hanging out with my buddies, my dad said, hey, come here, Brian. I want to pray for you. And he laid hands on me, and he prayed for me that God would keep me and protect me and that God would fill me with his spirit and that God would, God would use me for his glory. And so my dad loved well. He loved me. Well, um, the, every, everything at this point that I am as a man, God used my father to, to, to entrust and to place into me by, by his good grace and by, and by his good mercy. And so, and so fathers are very essential to the, to the life of a child. And so I want to talk to fathers, but I want to talk to everybody this morning because this passage is not just for fathers. This passage is for everybody. We learn about our great father's love as we dwell on this this passage, the father that calls us all home. So when you look at verses 12 and you look at verse 12 through 16, there opens up for us this, this passage and this parable about a son or sons and his father, sons and their father. Jesus is telling this story, by the way, to a, to a group of Pharisees, a group of Jews. You know, he, him, and, him, and, him and these guys, they normally have great conversations together. Um, and they, they love Jesus, by the way. No, they don't. They don't love Jesus very much at all. And, 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 and the reason why is because of passages like this. 
Passages like this are, are Jesus' way of taking a scenic route or a scenic route, if you will, to the sucker punch, all right? And so he doesn't punch people in the face like immediately with his words. He takes a scenic route around until they realize, wait a second, I think he's talking about us, you know? And then, and then that's when things get a little, little hectic and get a little frustrating for, for the crowds that he's speaking to. And this is exactly what happens here. He takes a scenic route around to actually really get to the heart of the message he's trying to communicate to this group. And we're going to take that scenic route too. And so we're going to talk about four things this morning. One, a father's love is greater than principle and merit, and we'll, we'll unpack that. Number two, a father's love is greater than fleeting pleasure or fleeting rebellion, rather. Number three, a father's love is, is, is the love that brings us home, not just simply waits on us to come home, but actually brings and pulls us home. And then a father's love, in fact, and unfortunately can be rejected. So let's start with the son, this young son. The son's request to his father that you just heard should have been immediately cut down. This son's request to give me the share of property that is coming to me should have been immediately cast down for a few reasons. First of all, because the son is a little arrogant. He's arrogant. The the son's request is a prideful request. According to the traditional birthright standards, the oldest would receive two times the amount of the rest of the children, okay? And so here we got two children. So the oldest looks like he's going to get two-thirds of the estate, and the youngest is going to probably end up getting one-third of the, st- of the estate. And so one-third of your father's estate is a pretty sizable amount to be asking for before your father says, hey, it's, it's yours, right? I mean, you, I mean this, is your, this is your father's estate. This is your father's property. This is your father's possessions. So to go to your father and say, give me what you owe me. Yeah, you, 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 hear, the, you hear the parents in the house like, mm, I wish mine would tell, wish mine would come and say something like that to me. So, so, so the inheritance is most likely large. It leaves a significant dent in the father's estate. And, and this inheritance is normally preserved for children at their father's passing. So under normal and more humble circumstances, a son would wait until the father communicates his desire to pass on his wealth, or he would wait till his father dies to receive that wealth, but not, not this son. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. With pride swelling up, In this young buck's chest, he says, give me what you owe me. It's been said that to make a request like this in such a disordered fashion was almost like saying to his father, I wish you were dead. Because I know know it's supposed to come to me when you die, but I ain't waiting for you to die because I wish you were dead right now. Pay me what you owe me. And the father gives it to him. The father divides the property and makes the exchange, giving the son what very well may be a third, or at least rights to a third of his estate. This isn't a decision based on principle, folks. 
This is a decision that's based more so on love, a wise and discerning love. Matter of fact, in the Jewish, in the Jewish book of wisdom, uh, otherwise known, or known as or called the, the, the Syrac, the Syrac, the following is said about management of inheritances. To son or wife, to brother or friend, do not give power over yourself as long as you live and do not give your property to another in case you change your mind and must ask for it. While you are still alive and have breath in you, do not let anyone take your place. For it is better that your children should ask from you than that you should look to the hand of your children. Excel in all that you do and bring no stain upon your honor. At that time when you end the days of your life in the honor and the hour of your death, distribute your inheritance. Now that comes from the Jewish book of wisdom, a book that I'm sure this gentleman would be very much familiar with. That you don't just hand your inheritance off until the hour when you have reached the point of death because you may hand it off a little too early and then your kids squander and then nobody has anything to live with. At least you can wait till you die and then they don't have anything to live with. No, I don't think, I don't think that's what they meant. But, 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 that, but, but, you, but you understand the gist of, of what's being said here. So this isn't necessarily based on principle. The father moves past merit, and he moves past principle to show this arrogant, prideful, unreasonable son love. He moves past principle, and he moves past merit, because we've already talked about the son and, and, and what a chump he is. He doesn't necessarily deserve it, right? But he moves past both of them in order to express love. You know, children can be the worst sometimes, right? So can we. As a matter of fact, I mean, the, the text isn't really about a child. It's more so about us. It's about how we approach God. As if we have come to him based on our own merit, saying, pay me what you owe me. Looking for being showered with a grace that really and truly we have not earned. Does that make sense? Living our lives and walking out, walking out our days as if everything that we breathe in is a product of our own hard work and labor and earning. As if everything that we enjoy from one day to the next is a product of our hard labor and our own earnings. So can we. This son represents the outsiders, those who aren't very righteous and don't try to present themselves as such. Those clearly situated on the outside of the will of God in full throttle rebellion towards moving fast towards the world's sinful pleasures and desires. The father in this story is none other than the father in heaven, right? Dealing with the rebellion of his sinful creation, like he often does, by demonstrating immeasurable and unbelievable patience towards it, right, or towards us. In the face of prideful rebellion, continually offering patience and grace, showing us immeasurable and unbelievable grace, though we have no right to it and have shown no way in earning it. This is our Father's dealing towards his rebellious creation. He's also teaching us a few things about fathering. Number one, the love that we give our kids isn't one of principle either. Sometimes it's going against the grain, moving within, with a sort of instinctual sort of wisdom. The love we give our kids is not predicated on merit. We shouldn't hold them to the challenge of earning our love no more than our Heavenly Father holds us 
to the challenge of earning his. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean they always get what they want. It means that they always get our love until they themselves place it beyond reach to be received. And we'll talk about that towards the end of this sermon. The great father in this story grants this son's request not as a father seeking to appease a spoiled brat, but as a wise one knowing where this request might ultimately lead him back to. This father's love pushes him past traditional wisdom. This father's love pushes him past his own son's merit to a place where his son could possibly and eventually be restored. So a father's love is greater than principle and merit, but also a father's love is greater than fleeting rebellion. So we read, if you will, read with me in verse 13, not many days later. So pay me what you owe me, man. And father gives him his inheritance. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and, and took a journey into a far country. So he takes all of his shoes and his kicks and he packs up his Xbox, right, and all, and all those things. And he's, he's kind of prideful and just kind of swole up as he walks out the door, throws his, little, throws his little bag around his shoulder and walks out and kind of stares his dad down as he's walking out. And he heads out on his journey, right? He's gone. And then the scripture says, and then he squandered it, right? <laughs> it's like he doesn't even have a whole lot of time to work through this took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and, began, and he began to be in need. Even in a fleeting and empty rebellion, a father's goodness can still be felt. A father's goodness towards his children can still be felt, even in the midst of rebellion. Now, notice I didn't say rebellion, period, because some rebellion is good, all right? Some rebellion is rooted in good causes, and some rebellion is rooted in good principle, and some rebellion is rooted in deep love and compassion for neighbor. Nothing wrong with that type of, re of rebellion. As a matter of fact, our very own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, saw a little bit of that rebellion this past week at their annual convention, or at our annual convention, when a resolution to denounce the alt-right movement, and if you don't know what the alt-right movement, not a whole lot of time to go into it, probably have to do a little digging and a little Google this week, but know that the alt-right movement is a group that tries to latch themselves to far-right politics, and, but when a, in actuality, they kind of run and, 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 and present themselves as white nationalists and white supremacists. As a matter of fact, at the alt-right annual convention this past, this past uh, year, a couple of months ago, at the conclusion of it, the great, um, the, the leader of this movement, or the guy that's considered the leader of this movement, after he finished his speech, he raised his hand up like this, and he says, hail Trump, hail our people. And then people started getting up and started doing like this, and if you guys don't know what that kind of sign means, that's trouble for people like me, right? Real trouble for people like me. That, that's, that's like more of like a Nazi symbolism, and so he's kind of doing this. And so the Southern Baptist uh, denomination this past week at the convention said, hey, we're going to write a resolution to denounce this, and then there was commotion because the resolution committee said, well, the wording's bad, and so we're not going to put this on the floor. And you say, okay, well, I mean, resolution, wording's bad, so you can't put it on the floor. Well, when you're dealing with this kind of resolution, you better learn how to change the wording and not just simply say the wording is bad. And so there was a rebellion 
that brewed out of this, when they found out that, there, that, the, that the resolution wasn't going to even be put on the floor to vote for, there was a rebellion. And all of the people said, this is absurd. And you had people coming out of the woodworks, white people, black people, old people, young people, right? Smart people and, and, and other smart people coming out of the woodworks and saying, and saying, this is not right. And so they began to have late night discussions. They rewrote the resolution in a way that was suitable to all. And then they presented the resolution to a uh, to a rousing applause and acceptance by the entire convention. And so rebellion sometimes is good. But not this knucklehead. Th this isn't an example of good rebellion. Fleeting rebellion is rebellion often fueled either by rage or bitterness or pleasure. It isn't centered on righteousness, neither is it centered on a healthy love for neighbor. It is centered on a get mine mentality. The younger son in this story has taken a turn towards that sort of rebellion, empty rebellion, fleeting rebellion. He takes what is probably a third of his father's inheritance, cashes it in, and in a blink of an eye, spends it on prostitutes and wild living. Nothing is more nearsighted than fleeting and empty rebellion. It is consumed by pleasure and consumed by anger or consumed by bitterness in such a way that it can't really see where this will all end until it has reached its end. And this young man's rebellion ends in a state of absolute and absolute and destitute poverty. That's where he ends. He doesn't see it coming when he's walking out his dad's door. He doesn't see it coming when he's cashing his money in on prostitutes and wild living. He doesn't see it coming on the turn up, as the young folks say. He doesn't see it coming then. He doesn't see it coming until he's there. That's how fleeting and reckless rebellion operates. Anybody in here, no hands needed, rebelling against our Father in heaven, chasing fleeting pleasure, jumping from one high to the next, or, or moving from one woman to the next, or moving from one man to the next, or moving from one dollar to the next, or moving from whatever you're moving from. Maybe your rebellion is being driven by bitterness because life hasn't worked out the way that you thought it would, and so now you're bitter and you're, you're angry with God. God hasn't moved like you thought he would in your life. Where has it left you? Has, it, has this rebellion left you full, full of life perhaps? Full of purpose perhaps? Full of significance perhaps? Full of meaning, full of worth? Full of clarity for, for, when this, for, for what's on the other side of this life? Or has it left you empty? Has it left you destitute? Has it left you with nothing? Have you spent and spent and spent, and spent, and spent, and spent, blinded until you get to the point where you're like, man, okay, what am I doing? The young man's rebellion left him where it leads all of us, empty and destitute. And it happens just at the exact time, right? That's, 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 what, that's what happens when, when it comes to these type of things. Just when you need a break, you got no breaks to give, right? So he ends up broke, 
And then the Bible says, and then a famine came. (laughs) Did I need a famine, Lord? Did, Did I really need a famine right now? I don't have anything. But that's how life works, doesn't it? You know, we, we, we jump out and we run, we try to run past God, do life on our own, live life on our own, and we live it and we're doing it, and all of a sudden everybody's hanging out with us and we're cool, and, and then all of a sudden everything, the bottom falls out, right? And then when the bottom falls out, it seems like instead of the bottom falling out and we land on like concrete, the bottom falls out and then the concrete falls out from underneath it. And then we just end up in some endless abyss, like where are we going? That's how life operates. So this poor kid at this point. Verse 14 says, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. and He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Swine was not even suitable. Let's, let's talk about this. Swine was not even suitable for consumption in Jewish culture. You dealt with swine, you were considered unclean. But this son's rebellion has been so tragic, the fall has been so momentous that he finds himself in the filthiest place imaginable in his culture. And what was once a man wrapped in arrogance and an entitlement is now a man wrapped in lowliness destitution, but humility. He once thought he deserved the king's house. Pay me what you owe me. Give me what I deserve. And he now believes he will be doing well just to have a place in the pig's pen. Anybody in here ever felt that way? But let me tell you something. This is where you find God. This is where you find God. Not in the confines of the palace, not in the seat of luxury, but in the lowliness of the pigsty. That's where you find God. It is when we are left with nothing that we come to realize how greatly we need God. How greatly we need our Father. Matthew 5 and 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God poor in spirit, when you, when you find yourself empty of resources, so to speak, empty of what I can offer you, and you say, I, I, you know, I don't have much to offer you. We've been talking about the blessing of humility in our missional community evenings, and, and, like the, and like the brother who sits at the back of the church pounding on his chest and saying, Lord, have mercy on a sinner or on the sinner, not on anybody else. Don't, I can't look at other people's sin. I have to focus on what's empty in me and have mercy. Withhold your wrath from me. It's that emptiness that we find, God. It's when you come to realize how little we have to offer God that we see how much he has freely offered us. Verse 17 says, but when he came to himself, when he came to himself, when he, when he discovered his senses, so to speak, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called 
your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, don't miss how it takes a minute, but what this young man remembers in his moment of lowliness and destitution is the love and generosity of his father. When he's left with nothing, it is the father's love that he recalls. The father's love rises above his rebellion because it was too large, too obvious, too clear to be ignored. The only way he could ignore it was through willful ignorance and blindness. When something is so undeniably good and righteous and loving, when it is relentlessly denied, the only logical conclusion one can draw is that the denier's senses have been dulled to that which is undeniable. It's like watching Muhammad Ali box, right? You watch Muhammad Ali box, and if you watch Muhammad Ali box, and then you walk away from, from watching it, and you say, I don't know, I don't see what the big deal is. Then somebody who knows boxing is going to say to you, what, are you blind? Did you, did you, just, did you just see that? Or, or, it's, or, it's like, or it's like hearing Mozart's, Mo, Mozart's, uh, most, most, uh, or Mozart's best work, for example. If you hear Mozart's best work and then you walk away from that best work and you say, I don't know what the big deal is, then someone who knows that work is going to say, are you deaf? Could you not hear what was going on? Or tasting one of the best chefs. Best, best chefs in the world, best dishes, right? Tasting like one of those Food Network Iron Chef's best dish, right? And so you taste that best dish, and then you walk away and say, eh, man, whatever. You know, I'd rather have a, you know, McDonald's cheeseburger. It's like, dude, get out of my car, right? <laughs> Are you serious right now? It's, it's because, so, so it's, it's, it's a sort of type of blindness or deafness that if you resist it or push back away from it, it's because you literally can't sense it. And that's how the Father's love is, is that it's so enormous, right? And it is so immaculate and it's so beautiful to, to, to receive that to push back on it is only, only possible if there is complete and total dullness of senses. And that's why it says, but when he came to himself, right? Because it's saying before then, he was out of his mind. And then he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he said, I need to go back home. There could be some, some of us in here that have relentlessly denied the undeniable love of our Father in heaven, but it's not because it isn't present. It's because your senses have been dulled. And so I pray for you this morning. I pray for you last night. I'm praying for you and will continue to pray for you that God would bring you to your senses, that you might taste of the goodness that he is freely casting out for us to receive. Verse 20 says, and he arose and came to his father. He arose. He said, man, this is crazy. I mean, I'm in a pigsty right now. This is crazy. I got a good dad at home. What am I doing here? Now, he came to his father, but understand something. This particular father has every reason to stand back and wait on his son to come to him. He squandered his wealth. He's mocked his love. He's trampled on his wisdom. He, he's made light of his grace. This father owes this son nothing. He's given him a third of the, a third of the, of the, of the estate. He owes this kid 
nothing. I remember when um, um, my dad gave me permission to go to prom night, 1995. It was, I was in 10th grade. And Vicksburg, because it's a country town, we, um, seriously, because it's a country town, we have lead out, which means that people can come. There's a certain time in the prom where we can come, and they call all the kids' names out, and then the kids walk out, and they cheer for them and all that kind of stuff. And then they resume prom, and then everybody's supposed to go home. Well, Dad gave me permission. I was in 10th grade, so I wasn't prom age yet. I didn't have a prom date. I had no intentions on going to prom. I had no tuxedo. I was going to lead out to watch some of my friends walk through and then give them a shout-out. Yeah, that was great. That was awesome. And then get back home before 10 o'clock. And so I went and, or before 12 o'clock, and I went, and they said, man, after, after this, they're going to have an after party. I was like, man, what time does that start? It was like, about 1 o'clock. <laughs> okay, how can I work this out? And I had the pressure, I had the pressure of the boys, man, we going or what? We going or what? Yeah, we're going. Let's go, man. Let's go. Forget that dude. And so 12 o'clock comes, and, and we get Waffle House, and I'm looking at my clock. And, oh, man. And so, oh, well, let's go. So we go to the party, right? And 1.30 passes around. My best friend's like, dude, when are we going home, man? I need to get home. My, my parents are going to kill me. And I'm like, dude, what are you worried about, man? We're, we're supposed to be home at 12. What's the big deal now? I mean, we've already broken, we've already broken the law. We're going to get killed. So let's just hang out and just have fun. And so 12, you know, 1.30 pass, 2, 2 o'clock pass. We're having the time of our life, man. We're just loving life. 2.33, you know, DJ's like last call, you know, it's like that type of thing. It's like he's putting up his records. We're still hanging out, dancing. Yeah. <laughs> 5 o'clock. You know, I mean, because we went riding around the town after that. You know, we, we, we lived it up. Hey, man, what, who we got to lose? Last night of our life. We're going to be dead tomorrow. <laughs> you know what I mean? So let's just go ahead and live it up. Five o'clock comes around, and we finally get home. I drop my, I drop my boy off, and I immediately drive off because I don't want to see his parents. So I don't even watch to see if he gets in. I just drive off. And then I get home, and I'm, I'm sitting in the car. I cut my car off, and I just kind of sit there and just figure out, okay, how is this going to play out? What do I need to say? And as I'm trying to think of something stupid to give him, he's already coming out of the door, Right? He's literally coming out of the door, and then I realized, wait a second, what in the world have I done? And he walks to the car, and I'm thinking he's going to walk to the car and do some kind of fatality Mortal Kombat move where he <laughs> chokes me out, you know, rips my spinal cord out, something like that. Doesn't do any of that, right? He, he looks at me, and he said, man, your mama been, been sitting here all night wondering if you, and he says, give me your keys. He takes my keys. He says, go in the house. And I go in the house. That's it. Next day he comes, he talks to me. He says, son, do you understand how much we love you? I I don't know what the right answer is right now, but yeah. He says, son, don't don't ever put us in that situation where you scare us like that and have us fearing for your life again. That was it. There was no big, massive punishment for this. But that day changed me because I saw my father's love for me. 
I didn't have to sneak. He was already there. He came out to me, and he showed me this undeniable love. And, and I knew it. You know, I knew it in my bones that, that, that nobody can ever tell me that my dad does not love me. Because there were so many ways he could have approached that, right? Well, here's this kid. And he, he's, he's trying to figure out, like, kind of like I was, trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to do this? What I'll do is I'll tell him, hey, Dad, if I can just take your, you know, if I can just take the role of one of your servants, that, that'll be good enough for me. I'll be satisfied. That's perfect for me. But the father, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him. So before this kid even got to the house, his father tucked his robe and took off after the kid. Now, now this is undignified in Jewish culture. These type of guys don't run for anybody or anything. It was considered an embarrassment and shameful to run. But this man with the compassion that is overwhelming him, tucks his robe and starts running down after his son. This is an undignified response that is shaped and molded by an overwhelming joy and love that this father has for his child that has come to their senses, recognizing the error of their ways and returning back to him and it can't be constrained. He can't constrain himself. He can't, it's, it's overwhelming the love that he has towards this child. And what I'm telling you this morning is that this is a, this is a story about your father's love for you. This is the kind of love that he has. He tucks his robe as he, as he just sees you make a turn in the direction back home. He literally tucks his robe and he takes off after you. Snatch it, pulls you back home. He isn't, he isn't waiting. He isn't saying, okay, well, let's, let's see what you're going to do here. This is the second time now. Let's, let's, let's see if you're going to clean, clean your act up this time around. He's grabbing you and pulling you back, embracing you kissing you, loving you back home. He can't, the son can't imagine this kind of love. He can't imagine being welcomed back with this kind of love. Neither can we, right? I can't can't tell you how many times I hear people say, God won't take somebody like me. God can't use me. What's he going to do with me? But we can't imagine how deep the Father's love is for us. As the, song, as the song sings, how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss, the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Instead of running out or instead of waiting on him, patting his foot, And as he comes back, he says, all right, go hang out with the servants. We'll see if we can figure out something for you to do. He runs out, embraces his son, brings him back, and he says, it's time to throw a party 
my son has returned. Get the best beef we got. Grilling some steaks, partner. Get the best beef we got. Takes his ring, puts it on his hand, shoes on his feet. Give me the Armani, you can have it. Takes his best robe, gives it to him. You can have it. For this my son, verse 24, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. Our father is not simply satisfied with just bringing you back into a house as an employee. Our father desires to bring you back as children. As children. God sent forth his son, Galatians 4 and verse 4. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God, you are God's. Children now. But lastly, a father's love can be rejected. So as this is going on, there's another son in this story. And he's been there the whole time. He's been there when this crazy, crazy younger brother of his is talking crazy to his dad. Give me, give me the money that you owe me. I'm getting out of here. Give me my bag. Where's my Xbox? You know, where's Madden at? Give me Madden. And putting, putting Madden in his bag, and he's, you know, and he's walking out of the door. And this older son's been watching this whole thing. And this older son's, man, this, this is like the good kid. This is the good son. He's been hanging out. Every time dad says, hey, man, I need somebody to go out there and mow the lawn. He's like, me, me, me. You know, he's like, all right, so, all right, go ahead, man. Go mow the lawn for me. And then he's, hey, man, I need somebody to clean out the gutters. And he's like, all right, come on, man. Go clean out the gutters. And, Dad, do you need somebody to, to, to wash the cars today? And, you know, the younger son's like, Pfft. you know. And, and Dad's like, well, matter, matter of fact, I did, son, yeah. Well, I'll wash the car, Dad. Yeah, because I'm the good son. And so he sends him out to wash the car. This, this is that kid, right? This is that kid. And so here he is in the moment. He looks, and his younger, younger son, his younger brother's back. Dad's running out there and giving him hugs. Okay. Bring my best robe. Best robe? He ain't never let me wear his best robe. Bring, bring the fatted calf. We're cooking steaks tonight. He ain't never cooked me steaks. And the bitterness begins to rise, right? And so this kid, this, let's, let's, let's read this last part. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, right? There's a party happening. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, begged him, because that's what this loving father does. He goes out to us and he says, listen, man, your brother is back. 
But he, but he answered, look, these many years I have served you. I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. In other words, I couldn't even have a cheeseburger from you. You didn't throw me a cheeseburger party, you know, with the, the fancy McDonald's party. I didn't even have a fancy McDonald's party, but here this kid, you're taking him out to roof Chris and everything, and he spent money on hookers. What's going on? That's the translation, right? But when this son of yours came who has devoured your property, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. He said, you, you had it all. You've always had it. You didn't need to do any of those things to have my love. You had my love regardless. But it was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Folks, listen, if self-righteousness has a root in your heart, it will cause you to miss the kingdom. I need you to understand that this is about a festival that's happening, and I need you to understand that the older son is the religious son. The older son is the Pharisees Jesus is talking to. It's the people that have built, built their standing before God based on their own activity and not his love. And so what ends up happening is when you build your standing before God based on your own activity and not his love, then when somebody comes in late to the party, so to speak, you know, drug dealer Jimmy, right, or drug dealer Darnell, you know, either one, white or black, when they, when they, when they come in, right, then it's like, I guess we got to try to figure out a way to bring them into the church, I guess. And they come in and they don't like your songs. They've never heard your hymns. They've never heard your black gospel. They've never heard any of it. <laughs> don't listen to that Christian rap, huh? Jesus probably doesn't love you as much as he loves us then. This is what's happening, folks. When, you, when someone that doesn't have any of the gospel experience that you've enjoyed, none of the religious experience that you've received, none of the church experience that you grew up in, when they come through the door and you consider them less than because they've been on the outside for so long, that's who he's talking to. And some people are so bitter because God gives them the same standing, right? The same standing that he gives you who's been in church all of your life. Some people are so bitter that they would rather literally miss the kingdom and miss the feast and miss the party and be on the outside hanging out in their bitterness, in their self-righteousness, rather than joining in the fellowship that God is creating, that a loving father is pulling together from every side and every group of people, from the worst of the worst to whom the world sees as the best of the best. He misses the party. The longer you're in the house, the greater the pull it is to 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 want to leave it when God brings those people in, because you get fat, you get too accustomed to the to the whole to the house being painted in your image. You get too accustomed to the house being painted in your likeness. You get too accustomed to thinking that you're in the house based on your own merit and not and not the merit of God. 
And so we have to kill the root of self-righteousness whenever it tries to make itself known in our hearts. His sense of entitlement won't allow him to enjoy the love that the Father bestows on his children. And so believe it or not, the quote-unquote best kid is on the outside of the Father's blessing. And the quote-unquote worst kid is receiving every ounce of love that the Father. It's the same passage. It's the same, same example. Man pounding on his chest, sitting in the back of the church, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. There's a man sitting at the front of the church who's saying, I'm glad. I'm. It's the same example. So let me leave you with this. Enjoy the Father's fathering of us all. Does that make sense? Don't get so roped up in your self-righteousness that you're comparing whether or not the father should be sharing love with this person or that person. You're trying to identify who's suitable for the father's love rather than simply enjoying the reality that the father has loved you. Don't be on the outside of the party trying to compare yourself to your younger brothers and sisters. Enjoy the Father's love that he has showered you with. Last thing I'll share with you, or the, the, the other thing I'll share with you is this. Be a father to those that you have fathered. The reason that this story makes so much sense to me is because as I think about this father, I'm thinking about mine. And, and then I'm saying, wait a second, so if my father, pretty good father, loved me like he loved me, then oh my gosh, what kind of love does my Father in heaven love me with? Jesus says something like this in Matthew 7. He says, hey, if you, being decent fathers, give your kids good gifts, then how much more can you imagine the Father in heaven giving you? Does that make sense? And so he, and so he projects how beautiful he is by, by, by showing you pictures of good fathers. So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that in a culture that is growing more and more fatherless, we're losing the pictures of good father to compare our great father with. So be a good father so you can lunge your children on the greatness of the father in heaven. Does that make sense? Because when you don't, when you don't show them good pictures, then they don't really have good comparisons and they're searching for them. What do you mean, good? What do you mean, father in heaven? I, these, these chumps down here, man, they ain't done nothing for me. So, so you want me to trust this guy now? You understand? You understand the stretch? And so by being good fathers, not just fathers to your children, but the church is a father to the fatherless. As a matter of fact, he speaks about it over 35 times at least in the Old Testament. God's care for the fatherless, his concern for the fatherless, and his instruction to the people of God how they're to serve the fatherless, the widow, and the sojourner or the foreigner. And so the church should be a father to those without fathers. It's why we go to the schools through the year, so that we can be a father to some that may not have a father. It's why we ask that people go and serve and spend a few hours at Central Mississippi during the summer camp. Because, a lot, hey, a lot of those kids do have fathers, but some of them don't, and we want to, we want to shepherd or show the love to children that are fatherless so that they can have a picture to shoot past as they hear and learn about the great Father in heaven. Does that make sense? Happy Father's Day.
And then happy Father's Day to the greatest father of them all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We give you all the praise. We give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. We are so, so, so grateful that you father us so well. Father, we thank you that, that it was in your great love, the love that is drawing us and bringing us home, it was in that love that you sent your son, that you sent your son, your only begotten, to, to take our place, to die on a cross, to spill his blood for the remission and the removal and the erasing of our sin. And so, Lord, Father, we pray that we would walk in that, enjoy that, relish that, savor that. Father, keep us, keep those that have grown up in church, those that have been a part of church all of their lives, Lord. Keep us, Lord God, grounded in that love and away from the type of self-righteousness that leaves bitterness in its trail. Father, keep us by your spirit, savoring and enjoying the love that you've showered upon us all. These things we ask and we pray in your son Christ's name. This message was brought to you by the family and friends of City Light Church. For church worship times, directions, support opportunities, or other ministry information, please visit www.citylightvicksburg.org.